Welcome back to the pod where we talk about hype, culture, and design. Running a business can be like two people in a canoe traveling down a river without any sort of coordination or planning, and it could lead into a collision into a bank. It's the same in business. As an entrepreneur, you have to find the balance between the potential benefits of innovation and the type of risk that an organization is prepared to pursue, retain, or take. Today, we will talk about risk, appetite, what it is, and why it matters. So let's get it. First thing about risk is that opening a business is a risk, right? It's always going to be some level of risk, but there's different levels of risk. Oftentimes when you consider your selling point as to why a company should hire you, oftentimes the reason why companies hire one designer over another designer, not because they're choosing the best designer. Sometimes they don't always choose the best option. They more often than not choose the least risky option. It can be a risk. It can be a risk when you create a logo and it's shitty. Are you going to pay $300,000 a year for a designer who is just out of college and just got their degree? Or are you going to pay for a designer who's, who's been through this for 20 years, 30 years, right? And may have been in organizations at the same size and level as yours. Again, they pay for the least risky option, not always the best option. If that designer meshes well in their business agendas and in their company culture, more often than not, they'll pick you. You always have to think of it from their perspective as well when you're trying to get a job as a designer. Does it make sense? Does the work that I contribute actually make sense to their objective? So as for what risk appetite is, it's different levels of you know taking on risk, right? I actually read more into it because when you asked me, what is risk appetite, Ernest? I reactively answered you, oh, it's risk tolerance. But in reality, they are not the same. I found an article that expands more into it. And based from my understanding, risk tolerance is something that has a plus and minus to it. Like, let's say, Jonathan, you're late from your work for five minutes, right? I can tolerate that. But if you're late for your work for an hour, then that's not tolerable. I might have to have a sidebar with you and talk about like you being late. Like if it's consistently like you being late, then we do need to have a talk. Risk appetite is it's more like what you said, right? Like you take in somebody. So it's like appetite is more like a food, right? That's the proxy to it. Before you like eat, you actually put the food into your plate. You assess how much food you can take in rather than a plus and minus how much you can tolerate. You don't put food into your plate thinking like, oh, maybe I could tolerate two more like big slabs of steaks. You just get your first steak and because your appetite, you know how it is. You're more self-aware at how hungry you are or how much you eat on a daily intake rather than tolerance. You don't really know where your threshold is for tolerance. There's a lot more unknown factor than appetite itself where it's more habitual. So within a business sense, it's how much of an exposure is acceptable for you at a, at a given business objective or at a given time. While the tolerance is more like how much variance can your organization's risk appetite is willing to tolerate. How much risk you're trying to take, right? Basically, for risk appetite, I feel like. Is that what it is? Risk ap appetite should be 
the level that you or your company is willing to take in pursuit of your goal, whatever whatever strategy you have laid down, and and then also you're using risk assessments to get get all of that in. From there, you you also develop risk tolerance. It's sort of what you elaborated earlier. Is what's the threshold? What's the maximum penalty I'm willing to accept until I blow up? Risk appetite. Well, I, I want to say risk management it can be applied to almost everything that you do, but in a more complicated scale for like big companies, they have many sectors of the company that deals with risk management. And that's where it varies from like everyday life. And you're actually trying to like, like a risk management strategy, like these risks, are, are we willing to take these risks to accomplish our goals? And that requires more strategic thinking and planning. Why do we bring this up in this podcast? It's because some designers want to go out there and create their own, right? Like a small studio or LLC. So the first thing you have to assess, especially if you are going full-time with like the freelancing, you need to know how much risk appetite you have. You build a runway, financial runway, when I say runway. Are you willing to go fly solo and you just have to make sure you have like almost like a three month like roof on top of your head because those three months could be like three months of no clients right 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 but risks appetite sometimes get like a bad rep there are companies that don't you know they don't have too much too too much risks especially like banks and stuff like that they implement like special risk management strategy so they won't lose it lose that much money or lose any money at all but then there are people let's just say the design field is more applied to i mean it can be applied to any field but it's it's a lot more reply uh, applied to um like the financial sector but as in design yes there's always like a risk like if, even taking on like a uh like a client it's an unknown right so you go through an interview basically right when you first get a client you interview them it's an assessment. Then you then that's where you develop the risk appetite. Like, am I willing to devote all my time? You know, am I is this is this client like from what I gather, is this client, am I gonna invest all my time into this? Like this is a big thing. And then the reward, you know, is it worth it? Even if I accomplish, you know, the goal, will I be satisfied in the end? So you have to put all that in like when you use risk management and You've got to be careful with your risk appetite and how much you apply. And if you feel like you're being overcautious or being overaggressive, maybe it is time to create a risk appetite statement just to create some guardrails for your company. Because it's not good if you're just being very aggressive every time, like just marketing, marketing, marketing. You're spending your budget way too much or being cautious by not marketing yourself but you're spending your money on all these equipments that which is not making money so that's another like cost that you have to think about like if you're gonna spend money make sure you're making money and if you're spending a lot of money make sure you know where you're spending those money because as a small business you don't have infinite amounts of resources or funds in this case you're not jeff bezos <laughs> right right and so something about risk is 
like you said, the risk statement to kind of give a general idea of how risky you want your company to be, what levels of risk you're willing to take. Oftentimes, smaller companies are able to take larger risks than larger companies because those larger companies have, they've found their market, they've found their audience. And so you you see companies kind of like Apple, uh, where they're still making great products, but they might not be taking so many risks. So you don't think Apple is innovating Ooh, enough? Ooh, shots are fired. Dude, the risk management sector is pissed. Yeah. <laughs> there goes your Apple credentials. Last podcast was Facebook. This time it's Apple. Bang, mango. We'll, we'll see who's next on the chopping block. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I, I think that Apple has become less risky over time. You know who I think has been innovating a lot lately and who? putting a lot of risks out there? It's Microsoft. Oh, Microsoft. 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 I'm, I'm not kidding about that. Like, they are trying to almost catch up on that Apple, uh, that, that Apple thing. Remember they created the Microsoft Surface to, like, fight with, like, the iPad I mean, they don't, they don't have to do that. They're already making money just from the OS alone, right? Mm-hmm, and right. then they created that uh, Surface Studio, that big kind of like iMac thing. And people are actually buying it. And you know what? The Surface is like one of the, like the biggest thing in the industry right now. Right. Yeah. And then there's the gaming department, you know? Ooh. The Xbox gaming Ooh. department. Oof. But Sony kind of shut that down. Sony kind of told them to shut the fuck up and back the fuck up (laughs) back up bitch I don't know they pulled the big one by buying Bethesda gaming studio so they're up to something right Right, or 7 to 8 billion are they up to something maybe they are I don't know you got some insider I don't know I don't have anything about like Bethesda or whatever they're doing there I don't know anybody there but yeah like if you think about it, Google Stadia started this whole like online thing. And you know who's following right now is Amazon. They created Amazon Luna for their online gaming also. So when fast. I say on they're so fast. When I say, yeah, when I say online, so it doesn't fast. mean like you're playing games online. It's more like just, you don't have to buy the game itself. You just download the game. They just wanna be like, there. Kinda like the Netflix of gaming. <laughs> I don't know how that's so that big. works. They're but. so big. <laughs> yeah so large yeah amazon has a lot of money so they can take more risks who's who, who's an erratic uh ceo would you say elon is one would you say that guy from t-mobile He's very risky the guy from I t-mobile think... looks crazy as fuck <laughs> mcafee i would i would have to agree with tim that elon is he takes a lot of risk. Risky well, he's a walking stock, remember? Ernest? He is a walking like, stock. Like whatever he, he does, like the, you know, the, st- the stakeholders are like, you know, up in arms. If anything he does, it doesn't have to even have to do with the company. Let me tell you who's max to max. Ooh, who's max to max? Trump. Oof. He's, he's, he, he's, he's got all his chips, yo. He's all in. <laughs> he ain't holding them. He ain't, <laughs> he ain't holding them. He runs the biggest company in the whole world right now, the United States of America. Texas OM, yep. Not Texas Hold'em. Yep, it's true. I think we all own a little bit of stock here. I definitely have gone all in on Apple and Tesla. Mm -hmm. I definitely have too much risk. Not that much risk. That is a high risk, what you did, Mango. How much money did you put in? A shit ton? 
what he meant was he did not diversify his. Uh, I didn't diversify. Yeah. So you I only just... invested in two stocks. Yeah, <laughs> in Tesla, baby. Fifty percent. Oh, you're eggs no, in two Tesla baskets. Was a little higher. It is just two baskets. Just two big old baskets, and you know what? Woo! It worked. <laughs> it worked for me. I'm going to California, baby. <laughs> Yo, man, I'll never spend as much money as I made this year. Okay, PSA: We're not. We're not financial advisor. Don't listen to like anything. I take <laughs> at what what we say. Yeah, you know, true. like disclaimer, anything finance wise. Disclaimer, stock, disclaimer, disclaimer. That's a big yeah. ass disclaimer. Whenever, right there, big Tim. disclaimer. Whenever we talk, whenever you hear the word investment, stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> Cover your ears. <laughs> Do as we say. Don't say. We'll give as you the we hand signal when you can hear again. <laughs> when you can listen to us again. <laughs> Go consult a financial advisor at your bank or something. You go back to the business side of this, right? This is more of a, let's say you're finding a partner for your business. You both cannot be like cautious or else you're going to err too much to the cautious portion of like the business. So Alpine Black, it's, it's three people, Tim, Mango, and I, and I'm more of the cautious side. I would definitely say every time the other two say something, I would give all. Take my money now. <laughs> Wager everything on this. Wager everything on two idiots to work with them. I'm more of a calculating person, right? And this is not to say that they are not. It's just my tolerance. I wouldn't say tolerance, but it's more like I think too much about the financial side. It's almost like. I got to be the CFO also because this is a small business that we're operating as well. Would you say that balances us out? Yes, it does balance us out. And so if you are creating a company, you need to find like not necessarily partners, but individuals that would help lead you to that next step that is not too akin to your personality or the way you think whether that be like a partner that you were working with or your first your first beginning employees yes exactly and one one way to like clearly establish like the way you want your company to move forward is creating specific goals and objectives strategies create some metrics behind those goals that or, or objectives that you have created and make sure like within like a certain time period let's say within a year after you establish all these like objectives that you want you look back at the data and see if you could put that range of your organization's risk a little bit further for the following year or is this something that you have to like scale down also don't be i guess it's a risk management too a risk appetite thing too don't be don't be shy about making a business partner that you don't really know. That's not your friend because people tend to go towards you know like a like a high school buddy or like somebody they known for a long 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 time. But that doesn't always you know that doesn't always mean that it's going to be a successful business. You gotta know if you're invested in somebody, you have to know their strengths and weaknesses and what they can bring to the table rather than, oh, he knows, I know him for a long time. You know, he would be 
loyal to me. Like, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. You should think up with the business first. You know, we had some people working at our company who were longtime employees at the company, but it got to the point where they just literally weren't doing anything anymore. And they're just being held on. They were salesmen and they just weren't getting any sales, man. They just literally weren't making any sales. And so the CEO had kept them on for a little while because, you know, they, they helped start that company with them. And there's definitely some of that, like, you know, I don't want to lose these people because they're, they're almost like friends at that point. And that's the problem is that he kind of let those friendships hold on and it's, and it's okay. You can still be friends with them. You know, it's not, it's not about losing friends. It's just about, you know, the fact of whether or not you can actually, you know, work and actually be successful. And you have to kind of look at those employees that you might be hiring and say like, can this person be successful? And are they still successful after a while? Right. But that's the thing though, right? Like if they're not making sales, is it their fault for not making sales? Or is it because the business structure has changed so much that they did not have any more like ways to sell the product? You know what I mean? No, I, I totally get that. Like maybe the, the, the name of the game, the rules might have changed. So if it, if whether it, or not they're not playing well, right? But and, the, this is the thing though. This, I'm just being like a devil's advocate. If, right. if the name of the game has changed, if the rules has changed, but the players are still like, like there is a sense of like, yeah, I'm going to cut them, these people off because they're not producing because they're lazy or whatever. But there, it, it is another like thing saying like, I'm going to cut them off because my business structure has changed. You don't, you just don't do that. You have to always create an option. How as a leader, how can I use their strengths? Right. How so can you still get value? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. No, I, I, I totally agree. Did your CEO just like, forget about like oh okay so there are these still people under my belt they gotta they gotta still feed their family i gotta make sure that they are like performing at their peak okay do you think that it's it's on to the worker to make sure that they're providing that value or is it is it the ceo or or the manager's job to ensure that that value is being provided to the company wait wait but we already established that they couldn't do you, you know they couldn't do their job they couldn't no, they no, couldn't no, no, bring no. to the table right they they could not do the job because the game has changed so at the okay. very beginning the game was like you know right right right, right. It, i get let's it let's say it's it. basketball at the very beginning it. then it changed to like a volleyball but it's still a ball no i mean right? We, right. we can use covid as a as a main catalyst right because it changed basically everything how people operate how people work how people you know acquire new skills so in his, if I was the CEO, uh, Mango's company CEO, communication has to be key, right? You have to hold a meeting. You, we, without communication, you can't, you can't know, you cannot assess like what a person can do and what a person's willing to do. Are you, is he, is this person, is he or she willing to learn a new skill? Is are they very proactive into learning about something else and another field? And what are their strengths? They, I mean, their strengths might be in sales, but they're not, I don't think not everybody's one dimensional. Everybody's multidimensional. Everybody's multi-skilled. And you just gotta, as a CEO, you gotta find that. And how do you find that? You talk to them, you assess how their abilities, they have worked for you. If you're so blind to like who you don't, who you hire, then that's on the CEO. If he's not taking action, 
yes, um, the employees probably do feel some type of way, like, oh man, I'm underperforming. I'm not making sales. Like they're panicking, but they're also scared to bring that topic to the CEO because that's automatically like saying, oh, I'm weak, you know, like, oh, I'm not useful to this company anymore. No, like the CEO has to take charge because this is company at the end of the day and he has to in- engage in a very like constructive conversation with these, with his fellow workers, uh, co-workers and employees. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, that's how you know, it's like, you know, that person where certain people are not going to work out. But that just that's just business. That's not nothing personal. Right, right. No, that's a good point. But at what point do you if that person isn't like, for example, like, like you said, it's very much kind of a personality thing where you are um, assessing whether or not this person is excited, whether or not they are energetic, whether or not they want to, you know, learn and improve whether or not they are exploring other avenues. There's a lot. And and I think that even just showing a little bit goes a long way in that situation because the difference is between getting fired or just doing something else. And if you really want to work there, if you really like the people you're working with, and especially if that person is just a, a great person, uh, you know, almost like your friend, you don't want to cut them off. And I totally understood why they stuck, they they stuck around, they kept this guy around because they don't want to fire people who you know, were there at the start or were, you know, who believed in the dream at the start, but keeping high priced people on the payroll all the time without seeing any results, that can be tough. And I think there had to be a certain level of, there had to be a certain amount of, of stagnation that happened to that person that, that forced this, the CEO to do that. I think that there is certain, there's a certain point. And I do also think that sales is a little different you know, making sales is, is known to kind of be a, like a risk reward kind of job. You're making a lot of money really fast. If you can get a lot of sales, you're, or you're losing, you're losing money if you can't make those sales. And so I totally get that, but uh, that's up to the, to the owner or to the managers to figure out whether or not that person is still valuable. Yeah. I mean, I bet you between them, there was a, like a downtime, like they weren't even talking to each other. They know what the problem is. But nobody has engaged like with each other, you know, and then one day you, the CEO usually comes in, like just drops the bomb, like the bad news, not even like trying to take time to like, oh, okay, what are our options? You know, and most CEOs won't do that. So most CEO, CEOs would just wait, let you like panic and then boom, drop the bomb on you and just like, hey, we got to let you go, blah, blah, blah. Before you can even say anything, defend yourself saying like, oh, I haven't been learning about, you know, this other part of the company, you know, before any of that, he's already letting you go. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, different sides to risk and stuff that you almost can't predict how people are going to act sometimes and how and how that risk changes over time. Because sometimes it can be a no brainer to make a risk if it looks very clear that it's the right risk to make. But then all of a sudden, a year or two goes by for your company, and it might be a completely different situation. This is why you need to have a plan, right? If you're running a company, you need to be able to pivot. Because if you cannot pivot, you're gonna sink. Like if you're gonna keep on banging your head on one thing, and it's been like a year, it's not producing any like ounce of result, you're gonna sink if you just keep on pushing and pushing. Regardless of how much brute force you're doing, if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Given it plenty amount of time for it to work, right? So it's almost the same for like 
this salesperson if they're gonna like keep on banging him into sales that when the game has changed already and they expect him to keep still doing the same like you know if it's like go back going back to like basketball and volleyball you don't you're not shooting the ball into the hoop anymore you gotta like volley the ball to the other side of the court now right it's two different ways so they gotta teach him how to do it you know but it doesn't change the fact that he's still an athlete in that division he's still he's still a salesperson so he already has those soft skills for him to like be able to pivot or adapt to that whatever transition your company is trying to go to you know hmm. yeah that's a good point and like what tim is saying like it's all about communication like everything is all about communication like sometimes communication is not comfortable it is the most uncomfortable thing especially if you're like a man in, in a management role you know you're gonna give the talk again right sometimes it will come off as like micromanaging almost like oh we're having a talk again or something like that but if you if you do it if you're a ceo and you do it the right way you always approach it the right way you always consistent on how you approach like certain you know whether it's like you know deficient in work workload or work capacity or work efficiency you know you always approach it the, the, like a professional way you don't you never you're you shouldn't never over be overly like emotional or critical but you gotta be more like in critical thinking and constructive thinking rather than going to a mindset like hey i'm gonna criticize this guy and all that stuff yeah digressing back to risk appetite you just have to create a strategy create a guiding post strategy for yourself for your company and for anybody else within that company not just the company itself but every single one has a path right it's almost like a pathway it's almost like college everybody has a pathway right and you let you let them grow within that pathway not vertically but kind of like a tree right it goes like in many different like branches so make sure you always have resources that you're able to allocate during times of like pivots if a professional development route needs to be done how can we help our salesperson or whoever it is within our company achieve that next step so they could still provide value to the company and at the same time help them improve or grow themselves or better themselves right because at the end of the day if they leave they still take that development with them but if they do stay with you they're gonna give you value in return and chances are if you're helping them to better themselves they will stay with you the turnover is going to be lower yeah they will give you 150 percent because they know you're taking a chance on them you're giving them a second chance to learn where you know redeem themselves it's sort of like a it, it's almost like you know they have to prove themselves and i feel like the reward in that is way 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 more than you're gonna get from any new hiree or anything like that that's true so your appetite needs to be like what you were saying mango like with it aligned within the culture also right you, you said that earlier so the the culture i remember a book um written by the old ceo of zappos it's he wrote something about it, it, the book the whole book is about like company culture how it's the number one thing that you have to think about this is before zappos got bought out by amazon um so they were he was like the people below you are the one that that's making you money you take care of them and they will take care of you they will make sure that you're going to be taken care of also yeah no risk is um something that you have to consider 
in making any kind of business decision. And as a designer, you have to consider risk, you know, does this client being as low priced as they are, like if they're going to cut you a bad <laughs> price, are you going to take that job or are you not? You know, most of the time I wouldn't recommend it, but if it's a job that gives you a lot of freedom, a lot of creative freedom and might be a really strong portfolio piece, maybe that risk is worth, you know, taking. Uh, it's, it, it's all a risk, right? You just have to manage it properly. Like you don't want to overcommit on something that you're not going to be able to finish eating. So just remember how much you want to put into your plate and how much you want to eat, right? Because it is like an appetite thing. You don't want to like, it's not a buffet where you like, oh, I paid, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to like put all the food here and whatever happens, happens. It's like more like a, a daily thing that you consume. Like, oh, I can I can eat a burger, you know, in one sitting, but I cannot eat two burgers in one sitting. Right. right? I, I think I think you could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you can apply it to everything, everyday life situations uh yeah but don't take risk appetite as a negative thing like a lot of companies do a lot of people do like you know they get scared when they hear the word risk you know so what we're talking about is actually developing a strategy and moving forward whether it's like business or anything like that or just going to a buffet you're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna do that strategy like i can't eat too much fish <laughs> or shellfish i'm mad allergic no, you, you, you cannot <laughs> eat rice in a buffet you eat only meat sorry i don't i high ticket item Tim. get the, I, ticket get the item. rice later just the meat rice will get you full and it's not a lot of money for the See, amount of there, 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 there's the ratio one that's a that's a ratio risk <laughs> there's the risk right there there's a, that's another kind of strategy going into it so yeah don't look at risk appetite as like a negative thing i mean you apply it to everything you do anyways every day yeah risk appetite does not exist in a vacuum rather it is an integral part of an organization's strategy for achieving objectives. And a statement is a risk appetite that is an effective way to communicate across organization. Most importantly, developing a risk appetite is a start of an organization's commitment to an effective enterprise risk management. And with that, we'll see you in the next one. This episode is edited and produced by Ernest Chua. I'm brought to you by the Alpine Black team. This podcast series would also not be possible without listeners and supporters like you. One way to support us is to just click that follow, share, and like button. For any comments or feedback, email us at info at alpineblk.com. And we'll see you on the next one.